Well, this morning we're continuing our series called No Fear, and uh, that is no spelled K-N-O-W, because we believe that the Bible teaches us a lot about fear, and when we understand what the Bible teaches us about fear, uh, we're better able to deal with fear itself. And we said several weeks ago that there are two kinds of fear— One, the Bible tells us we should have, and one, it tells us we shouldn't. Now, what kind does the Bible say we should have? Fear of the Lord. Very good. Yes, we're we're told over and over again to to fear the Lord. Now, what that fear means is, is it means to revere him, to respect him, to understand his mighty power. That God is bigger than any struggle we face. He's bigger than any storm we could endure. That God is bigger than all of that. And when you catch a glimpse of how big and great God is, there is a level of reverence and awe and fear that we have. And the Bible says that's good. You need to have that kind of fear of the Lord. And the other kind of fear that the Bible says we should not have is a spirit of fear. Now, a spirit of fear is what we're going to talk about today. Uh, I want to spend just a little bit of time discussing what a spirit of fear looks like and how I believe it manifests itself in our life most often. Now, last week we looked at the fear of the Lord, and we looked at it through the eyes of the Old Testament character David. And we saw how the fear of the Lord produces good things in our life. We saw that when David feared the Lord, he conquered giants and overcame evil kings, But when David forgot about the Lord, he was sort of turned over to his own sinful flesh and ended up getting into a lot of trouble and it created a lot of difficulties in his family. That the fear of the Lord helps us to stay on track. It hems us in and keeps us moving in the right direction. It it helps us to know which battles to engage in and when we to wait on the Lord to trust him for the victory. So today as we look at this idea of a spirit of fear, I believe the spirit of fear most often manifests itself in in my life in the form of anxiety and worry. And I think that's true for you too, based on conversations we sometimes have. How many of you would say that you are really good at worrying? Just ra- go ahead, confess it, raise your hand. Somebody, yeah, some of you are bold about it, others of you are maybe me. If you think you're good at it, let me tell you, you are good at it, okay? If you even think, I'm not sure if that's me or not, yes, it is you. Now, how many of you are sitting next to somebody who is really good at it, but they didn't raise their hand? You just raise your hand for them. Okay, very good. Yeah, we, we just live in an age where anxiety and worry seems to, be, uh, seems to be the cause of the day. So much so that the poet W.H. Auden wrote a poem called The Age of Anxiety. I think we live in that age. There was a a sociologist and and a writer uh, in London who did a survey in, in the year 1994. He studied to see how many times the words at risk or fear or anything associated with fear was, was printed in public media in 1994, and he counted 2,037 uses of fear in the, in the printed media in London that year. Just six years later, in the year 2000, he counted again, and there were 18,000 uses of at-risk or fear. Now, the year 2000 was before 9-11. Do you think that anxiety has gone up or down since the events of 2000, September 11th? Yeah, it's gone up. I mean, you see it all the time. Constantly being told things that you should worry about or fret about. We're constantly being told to be aware, to, to be concerned for, for safety, for wellness, for health. Whether that's financial, whether that's physical, fear seems to be a topic of the day. The psychologist Rollo May talks about two kinds of fear. 
And one kind that he calls just fear itself, basic fear, he says is healthy and it's productive because it's specific and constructive. An example would be if you were walking on a sidewalk by a busy road and a car jumped the curb and was headed towards you, there would be some terror, right? I mean, you see the car coming at you. There's a sense of fear and terror. What is that fear going to cause you to do? You're going to move. You're going to get out of the way. You're going to do everything you can to move out of the way. That kind of momentary terror or fear is healthy and productive and it serves to protect us. But he says there's another kind of fear. Another kind of fear that that he describes as anxiety. And this is basically after the danger is over, the abiding sense of the threat that sort of follows you around. This would be like you had an encounter where you were almost run over by a car And then after that experience, you're afraid to walk on the sidewalk anymore. You're afraid to be around cars anymore. There's a sense of anxiety. It's not specific. You don't have a specific threat. It's not productive in any way. It's generalized, and this anxiety sort of paralyzes us. Now, the Bible doesn't make a distinction between fear and anxiety, except that it does describe a kind of fear we should have, and that's a fear of the Lord. But the Bible never tells us to be anxious or to worry. It actually says just the opposite. It actually tells us that we are to never be anxious, to be anxious for nothing. And I think the reason that the Bible is so specific about anxiety, and it's so, it's so, uh, so, dogmatic about never being anxious is based upon what Jesus taught us in Matthew chapter 6 that Janice read for us earlier. That anxiety indicates misplaced faith. Anxiety indicates misplaced faith. Now I want you to say that with me because so many of you said you were professional worriers and that you're professional at being anxious. You need to say this. Let's say it together. Anxiety indicates misplaced faith. Now I want you to add the word my on the front of that sentence. Okay? Right? Let's say it again. Ready? My anxiety indicates misplaced faith. Yeah, look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6. If you have a Bible, open with me to the passage that was read earlier. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 21. Jesus tells us to lay up treasure for ourselves in heaven, right? He says, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust and thieves can can steal or, or destroy, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where nothing will happen to it. See, what is he saying? He's saying that if you put your trust, if you put your faith in stuff, you are open for disappointment. You know this already. You've already experienced this at some point in your life. Where there's been something that you've lost, there's been something that's been taken away from you, that that has created a level of anxiety, or just the fear that it would be taken away or that you would lose it has created anxiety. That that you worry about money. How are you going to pay the bills? Do I have enough money in the account to cover the bills I've already tried to pay? That that you worry about a job, and and worry about a job is actually worry about money. And worry about money is worry about our stuff, isn't it? That a lot of what we worry about is just stuff. Money, possessions, cars, houses, debts, finances. We worry about these things because we have placed our faith in them to some degree. And anxiety comes as a result of that. That misplaced faith leads us to anxiety. And what you worry about is the key indicator of where your treasure is. And Jesus says where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. 
Therefore, what you worry about is where your heart is. You don't worry about something you don't care about, do you? I mean, maybe some of you are expert worriers and you can worry for other people. But, but most, most of the time, you have some measure of concern or care about what it is that you are anxious over. And so if you worry about something, that indicates that you treasure it to some degree. And Jesus says where your treasure is, that's where your heart will also be. So what you worry about is an indication of where your heart is. Anxiety indicates misplaced faith. Look what he says in verse 25 and following. He, he tells us not to be anxious. And he says, don't, don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to drink. Don't worry about what you are going to wear, that God knows you need all these things. Now, the word he uses in this passage is an, is an interesting word. It's, the Greek word is merimneo, and, and this word actually literally means to be split apart or to be shattered into pieces. The idea here is that when you worry, your mind and your heart are shattered into pieces over many, many things. Do you think about this? When you've been worried about something, haven't, isn't a piece of your mind or a piece of your heart somewhere else? I mean, you may be at work trying to do your job, but you're not completely at work, are you? There's a part of you that's worried about that kid, your child who's gone astray. There's a part of you that's worried about the coming doctor's report and what you're going to do in response to it. There's part of you that's other places, that you are merimneal, that you're shattered, you're scattered into many, many different places. This is the same word that Jesus used when he was talking to Mary and Martha. You remember these two sisters? Jesus went to their house. There was a big crowd that had gone, and so Jesus is sitting there. He's teaching, and everybody's kind of crowded in the room. And Mary, one of the sisters, is sitting at Jesus' feet. But Martha, Martha is off in the kitchen trying to get everything ready and feed everybody, and she's, she's fretting, and, and she's just getting mad because Mary's not with her, right? And so she comes in, and she says to Jesus, Jesus, aren't you going to say something to this lazy, no-good sister of mine and make her come help me in the kitchen? And Jesus looks at Martha he says, Martha, you're Merimnaal. You are worried about many, many, many things. Mary has chosen the one thing that can't be taken away from her. That Mary stored up a treasure in heaven that could not be destroyed. So often our anxiety causes us to live fractured lives. That we're scattered out in many, many different places. And Jesus goes on to say that this is pretty serious. He says that the biggest competition that God has for your heart is not the devil. He says you cannot serve both God and who? Money. That the biggest competition for your heart isn't the devil, it's your stuff. It's the stuff that you have. Because when you when you value it, when you place your faith in your 401k, when you place your faith in your job, when you place your faith in your possessions, you put your treasure there and Jesus says that's where your heart is and God is a jealous God. He wants all of your heart, not part of it. That's why he said love the Lord your God with all your heart, not 90% of your heart, all of it. So when we are worried and anxious about temporal things, we're demonstrating that we haven't put our full trust in God. So the biggest competition for God is not the devil when it comes to your heart. It is your stuff. This is why Jesus, when, uh, when he was with his disciples, you remember the disciples said, Jesus, will you teach us how to pray? 
And you remember, the, the, Jesus gave him the model prayer. And there's just one little phrase in there that deals with this idea. And, and it just says, give us this day our what? Daily bread. Give me today what I need. Jesus is saying, he's referring back to a time in the desert when the children of Israel were wandering through the desert and and they were hungry. And so God caused manna to rain down and they were to gather it up and they were to eat what they collected that day. He said, but if you keep it overnight, it's going to be rotten. And then some people tried it and it didn't work. They couldn't carry today's blessings into tomorrow. They couldn't let tomorrow's worry about their provision creep into today. Every day God gave them just what they needed for that day. That's exactly how God invites you and I to live. That we live with such faith in him that we trust him for his provision each and every day. Where we get into trouble is when we allow our expectations to be built up about what we think we need tomorrow. And so there comes a point in our life where we where we plan our lives out and we think, well, by the time I'm 40, this is what I want to happen. By the time I'm 50, by the time I'm 60. But I want this much in my retirement account. I want to accomplish this. I want to have this much in the bank. I want my kids to to make these kind of grades, to be able to go to these kinds of schools so that they've got, and we begin to build up these expectations and the expectations all center around things that are in the future and tomorrow and temporal. And Jesus is saying, you can't live like that. You can't live in that place. He says, don't bring tomorrow's troubles into today. Because that's exactly what the enemy wants you to do. Satan really doesn't have a lot of tricks in his arsenal. But but one trick that he does have is to get you to stop living in the present and seeks to try to distract you with either the past or the future. Here's what it looks like. In the past, he'll draw you back with regrets and shame. And he'll cause you to look back and wish you would have done something different or that circumstances would, and you dwell in the past. You know people like this, right? That they live constantly in the past with what might have been, what could have been, what should have been. And the enemy is distracting them from living in the present of God's blessing today. The manna that is for today. But there's another tactic that Satan has, and that is to get you to live in the future. To try to bring tomorrow's troubles in today. To move you into the future and to say, well, what would happen if the stock market crashes? What will happen if I lose my home? What will happen if the doctor's report is bad? And so all these worries and anxieties about tomorrow creep into today and we find ourselves shattered. We find ourselves broken into many, many pieces and we're everywhere but living in the presence, which is where God has invited us to experience his blessings for today. And we miss today's blessings because we're so worried about, will God be faithful tomorrow? And our anxiety indicates misplaced faith. That if we truly take God at his word, we trust him each and every day for that which he provides that day. This is why Jesus talks in the Bible more about possessions and money than he talks about heaven and hell. And I know the criticism that comes to churches and that comes to people who do what I do. And they level these charges that we talk about it for somehow there's some personal gain or some corporate institutional gain. But I want you to know it has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with the condition of your own heart. That God has said, if you are clinging to the possessions of this world, it indicates where your heart is. And I want you to be free from anxiety and free from worry. Put your confidence and your faith and your trust in me. And the best way to do that is to hold everything just like this. 
that God gave it all to you anyway. He can take it all anytime he wants. And so we live as generous people. We live as people who give. We live as people who follow God's command to, to, to give at, at least a tenth, at least a tenth away. Because it's about your own heart. Jesus told you to do this not because God needs your money, but because you need to trust in him. And he knows that his biggest competition for your heart is your stuff and your money. So don't bring tomorrow's troubles in today. Don't be distracted by the enemy from living in God's blessings today. As I was thinking about this and trying to think of some, uh, some stories from the Bible to illustrate it, I actually thought of two uh, that may not it may not immediately come to your mind, but, but two Old Testament characters that I love. One is Nehemiah. You remember Nehemiah, the story of, of Nehemiah was that uh, he went back to Jerusalem to help rebuild the walls around the city. And uh, the walls had been in ruin for years. And so Nehemiah comes to the city and he gets everybody mobilized and they start rebuilding the walls. But not everybody who lived around Jerusalem wanted those walls rebuilt. And so they began to use fear and intimidation to try to distract Nehemiah and the workers from building the walls. And they would send messages to Nehemiah that would say, come down here and and talk with us. let's, Let's discuss this. And they were really veiled threats on Nehemiah's life. What was happening? That Nehemiah was being tempted to stop living in the obedience that God had called him to do today and worry about what might happen if he actually did what God called him to do. He was trying to be, he was, they were attempting to distract him with anxiety and worry. And Nehemiah sent those people a message. And you can find it in Nehemiah chapter 6, and it is a great verse. You should memorize it. And here's what he said. He said, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Will you say that with me? I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Nehemiah was determined to live in the presence of what God was doing in him and through him right in that moment. He was not going to be distracted with fear and anxiety and worry. And neither should you. Some of you need to memorize that verse. And when you go home today and anxiety begins to creep into your heart and into your mind, you need to say to your anxiety out loud, I am doing a good work and I cannot come down. I'm going to live in the presence of what God's calling me to do. Some of you have allowed the worries of the what-ifs to keep you from living in the obedience of today. That you know God's calling you to something. I don't know what it is. I don't know. It may be, may be going on a mission trip. It may, be, uh, it may be a financial thing that God's inviting you to support some ministry or some mission. I don't know what it is. But you are so worried about tomorrow that you're not living in obedience today. And today's where the blessing is. And you need to look at that fear and you need to say, I'm doing a good work and I cannot come down. I'm going to live in the presence and do today what I know is right and trust God with the future. The other character from the Old Testament found in the same part of your Bible is Esther. Esther was a, a, a Jewish peasant girl who, uh, who through a, a crazy set of circumstances, ended up being the queen uh, married to the king of this area where the Jews had been carried into exile. And uh, through, through some deception and deceit, the king had signed an order uh, saying that all of the people of his kingdom could pillage and murder the Jews on a particular day. Now, he wasn't a very observant husband, so he didn't realize that his own wife was Jewish. And so Esther's uh, cousin, Mordecai, came to Esther and said, Esther, you need to go talk to your husband about this. You need to get him to rescind this edict. And Esther said, I can't do that. I mean, 
Esther knew what happened to this guy's ex-wife when she was disobedient. She's like, I I can't do that. I can't go speak to the king if he hasn't called me. And he hasn't called for me in over a month. What was Esther doing? Esther was allowing worry and fear to keep her from doing what God had called her to do. Mordecai looked at Esther and said, Esther, who's to say that you have not become queen for just such a time as what? This. Right now. Live in the present. Live in the fullness of what God has called you to do today. And God has provided everything you need today to do what needs to be done to be obedient to him today. And you let tomorrow worry about itself. And so we look at these two characters and we realize that that because they were willing to live in the presence, they were obedient to accomplish all that God had called them to accomplish. So if the Bible tells us over and over again not to be anxious and not to worry, then what do we do with fear and anxiety? Right? Nothing I've shared so far, those of you who struggle with anxiety, nothing I've shared so far can really help you overcome it. But I'm grateful that the Bible doesn't just point out our problems, it also points us towards solutions. So, so here's, I want to talk about the solutions that the Bible has for us when it comes to fear and anxiety. You know, culture and society will tell you just to embrace your feelings Embrace your fears, embrace your, your, uh, your, your anxieties, explore them, that what you feel is what is real. That's sort of the, the popular uh, psychology of the day. And then on the other hand, you've got religion, and religion teaches you to, to sort of mask over all your fears and anxiety. Put on your good game face, go to church, go through the religious rituals in motion, never let them see you sweat, you know, and, and, and show that you are strong and, and you're faithful. Religion says just mask it and cover it all away. And I'm so grateful that the Bible doesn't take either position. That the Bible instead invites us to expose our anxieties and fears to the light of God's truth. So I want to share with you a three-part antidote to fear and anxiety. A three-part antidote. Now, on your sermon notes, you can write this down. And I know at least half of you need to write it down because you raised your hand already, right? So if you raise your hand, get your pen out and write this down because I want you to try this this week and see if these antidotes don't help you overcome fear and anxiety. A three-part antidote for fear and anxiety. The first part, daily doses of prayer with thanksgiving. Daily doses of prayer with thanksgiving. Look what it says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. You know what anything, you know what the Greek word for anything means? Anything. It means everything. Don't be anxious about anything at all. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. Isn't that interesting? That the commandment is you take the prayers and the petitions to the Lord and you give him thanks because you have so much faith that he is already responding to what it is that you've prayed about. See, there's the faith. Your faith isn't in temporal worldly possessions. Your faith is in him. So you place your faith in him. By prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And here's the word. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart. And your mind, where? In Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. Now, I want you to know something about the word peace. The the, the Hebrew concept for the word peace is the word shalom. You know what shalom means? It means wholeness. Remember what merimnao means? Shattered into pieces, doesn't it? 
And what does this verse say? It says, don't be anxious. Don't be shattered into pieces. But rather, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, when you present these requests to God, the peace, the wholeness of God that goes beyond what anybody can understand will overwhelm you and it will guard your heart and your mind and keep you from being shattered into a thousand pieces in Christ Jesus. This is why some of you have faced insurmountable circumstances and you've done it with such a sense of peace. I'm not saying there hasn't been fear in your life, but you've been testimony to many of us about the peace that passes understanding. You know people like that, they're sitting all around you. This is the peace that God wants you to have. Not to be anxious or worried, but to trust him. Esther and Nehemiah, if you read their stories, and I encourage you this week to do it. They're both books, neither one are very long, but what you will discover is that both of these characters prayed consistently and asked others to pray for them as well you see worry is the opposite of prayer it's the inversion of it if you can worry you can pray and here's the good news for you the better you are at worrying the greater potential you have to be a strong prayer warrior because it's the same concept prayer is dwelling on something What do you do when you worry or you're anxious? You dwell on something, don't you? Here's the challenge for you. Take that anxiety, take that thing that you're worried about, and turn it into a prayer and lift it up to God. Listen to what it says in 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty right hand, that he may lift you up in when? Due time. It's not going to be your time. It's going to be his. You want it right now, and he's saying, trust me for tomorrow. In due time, he will lift you up. Cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. He's inviting you to give it to him. You give it to him in prayer. Hebrews 5, 7 says that Jesus did this. It says that Jesus offered up loud prayers and petitions. Now I ask you, if the son of God himself needed to lift up prayers and petitions, how much more do we need to do the same? That we need to pray. This is part of the reason we're inviting you to be a part of the 75 days of prayer that starts on Tuesday with call to prayer. Because we're inviting you to test the Lord in this. Check him out and see. What would happen if every day for 75 days you doubled the amount of time you spent in prayer? For some of you who you don't pray consistently, you just take 75 days and every day spend some time in prayer. And you think, well, what will I say? Well, the more you have to worry about, the more you have to pray about, right? I mean, you've made your own prayer list. And so you spend just a little bit of time every, time every day for 75 days praying. And let's see on Easter Sunday morning if you're more anxious or less anxious. Let's see if you're scattered into pieces or if God has given you a peace and a wholeness that defies comprehension and understanding. Some of you who say, well, I pray every day. And maybe it's just a token prayer at dinner or a token prayer at night, 10 minutes. What would happen if you just doubled your prayer? You went from 10 minutes to 20 minutes for 75 days. What would happen if the entire church did that? And we lifted up every prayer and concern and every petition. And we did it with thanksgiving. Many of you participated in the 75 hours in the word. And the comments back have been, I was so surprised at the blessing that came from that. I think God's got the same blessing in store for you if you will engage with him in prayer for these 75 days. Pray about what you're anxious about because it's an antidote. It's an antidote to all your anxiety and fear. The second antidote is regular exposure to the community of faith. Regular exposure to the community of faith. We need each other. I mean, the world can be a scary place. 
And not everybody has the same beliefs and values that we have. Not everybody says, I'm going to build my life on the truth of God's word. And so we need to come together to encourage one another and to be reminded of what is truth. I love what Max Lucado says in his book, Fearless. He says, a healthy church is the place fear goes to die. Think about that for a minute. What if our church was a place where everybody brought their fears and their fears died the minute they walked in the room? Because there's such, such a commitment to the truth of God's word, such a commitment to prayer, that fear can't survive in an atmosphere like that. Anxiety can't live long in a place like that. This is what the writer of Hebrews says, Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. We need each other. You need to be in a small group. You need to be studying God's word with other believers. And you need to shine the light of truth on the fears that you have. Some of you go in and you've got worries and anxieties, but you never voice them to people around you. What if God wants to shine the light of your fear through another member of this church? Because they've been through the same thing that you're going through. The struggles that you face, many of them have been experienced by other people and they can give you testimonies of what God has done in their life. You need to experience community. That community helps us to overcome these fears. The truth of God's word exposes our fears for what they are. So, Daily doses of prayer and thanksgiving, regular exposure to the community of faith, and finally to dress in the full armor of God. Dress in the full armor of God. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of who? The devil. You think, oh, come on, it's 2014. Haven't we gotten past the devil? He'd like you to think you have. He, he, he really would. He'd like you to ignore. He'd like nothing better than you to ignore him or, or think he doesn't exist. Or he'd like another, another thing for you to do. He'd like you to be so in fear of him that you're paralyzed. I mean, God wants you to overcome him. And you're not going to do it in your own strength. You stand in the strength of the Lord because he is going to use worry and anxiety and fear to distract you. Let's go on with me in verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having undone all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of what? Truth. How many of your worries and anxieties are lies? How many of you can look back on times where you were worried or anxious about something, and then the day came and it didn't even happen anyway? And you were worried about something you didn't even need to be worried about? That the lies of the devil cause you to be paralyzed with fear. So you put on the belt of truth. To stand against the lies of the enemy. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances, take up, listen to this, take up the shield of faith, the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. You know what the darts of the evil one are? They're worries. It's anxiety. 
And the best weapon against those darts of worry and anxiety is the shield of faith. And if those darts of worry and anxiety get through and penetrate and get to your heart, it indicates, it indicates that you have a misplaced faith. That you haven't picked up the shield of faith. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying, here it is again, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. In other words, pray about what you're worried about. Pray for other people. You pray and you cling to the truth found in God's word. You put it on like a belt around your waist. You put on the shield of faith and you defy the enemy to let worry and anxiety distract you from what God has for you in the present. That you live a whole life, shalom, full of peace. See, you have to decide. Every one of us have a decision to make. We're either going to be controlled by our emotions and by fear and worry, or we're going to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. We're going to be controlled by a spirit of fear, or we're going to be controlled by God's Holy Spirit. Your emotions will lie to you over and over and over again. Just because you feel something doesn't mean it's true. Just because you thought something doesn't mean it's right. There's a whole culture that's putting thoughts in our head all the time. Worries, doubts, fears, intimidation. The enemy is seeking to do that. Every thought that comes into your mind is not from you. And it may be used to distract you. This is why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10.5, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God what, is the no, what, what sets itself up against the knowledge of God? It's worry and doubt. It's worry that there may be something more powerful than the God that you worship and serve. And we take every thought captive, make it obedient to Christ. Some of you need to remember that verse. And you need to take those thoughts and those worries and those anxieties, you need to take them captive and you need to do what the Bible says. And you need to present those anxieties to the Lord, knowing that he will care for you. You do it by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. You expose it to the light of God's community. And you put on the full armor of God's truth. On March 3rd of uh, 1943, it was uh, during World War II. And London was being bombarded over and over and over again. Um, and the people had just been conditioned in London to respond uh, to sirens and threats of war and bombing. And on this particular day in 1943, um, there was some sound of some gunfire. And then there was the sound of some anti-aircraft, being, anti-aircraft missiles being, being, rockets being launched. And, and in the streets of London, there was a great panic and everybody began to try to find their way into the uh, subway, into the, into the train stations, and anywhere they could find shelter. And on this particular day, uh, there was a, th- this was going on, and everybody began to rush towards this, uh, this, this station, and, and a lady carrying a small baby tripped and fell, and there was a domino effect, and a stampede started, and people began to push one another, and, and, uh, and they ran over one another. And on that day, there were 173 people killed, in that stampede in London. There was no attack from the enemy that day. Fear killed more people that day than bombs did. And I'm convinced that's what's going on in our world today. 
That the enemy has unleashed such a sense of anxiety and worry and fear in our world, and not just in our world, but in our churches. That we are running over and trampling each other, and we're allowing fear to paralyze us, to cause us to fall. And we need to expose that fear with the truth of God's word. And we need to remember that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And that there is no weapon formed against you that can prosper. That God is able. Some of you have come today with lots of anxieties and lots of worries. And and, and as hard as it is to understand, as hard as it is to even maybe confess, those anxieties indicate in your life misplaced faith. Some of you are here today and you say, but I'm a Christian. Jesus, I've been saved by the blood of Jesus. But you're not allowing him to save you each and every day from the attacks of the enemy. You need to live in the spirit of God. And you need to understand the truth of his word. And you need to stand against the lies of the enemy. Who's trying to distract you from living in the full presence. In the full, in the full blessings of what God has for you today. Others of you here who are here today, you may not be a Christian at all. And, and there is inside of you a deep and abiding anxiety that doesn't ha- just have to do with tomorrow. But it has to do with eternity. Can I tell you that Jesus holds that in his hands too? That there's no reason for you to be afraid of that? That you can have a peace that passes understanding? And and that he can protect your heart and your mind if you are in Christ Jesus? Will you put your faith and your trust in him today? Will you trust him for today and for all of the tomorrows and into eternity? Will you bow your heads and pray with me? As you bow, I want to invite you just to take a moment and think about something that you're worried about. For some of you, you can identify it like that. You know immediately, this is what I'm anxious about, this is what I'm worried about. For others of you, you might have to think for a minute. But I want you just to think for just a moment, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you any anxiety or worry that you have. Now that you have it, I want you to take that worry, take that anxiety, and I want you to turn it into a prayer. Present it to God, and I want you to thank God that he's already answered the prayer, that he's already got an answer for you. Will you just turn that into a prayer and make sure you include a phrase of thanksgiving? Father, we come together as a community of faith, and Lord, As we've read from your word, we've strapped on the belt of truth. We understand, Lord, that we're we're called to be anxious about nothing. And we come to you right now confessing, Lord, our anxiety, which indicates a lack of faith. And we ask you to forgive us and we ask you to give us the faith that we need to be able to withstand the arrows of the enemy. Father, we lift these concerns, we lift all this anxiety up to you. We bring it to you as an offering. And Lord, maybe that's not what we came prepared to give today. Maybe we came prepared to just put some money in an offering plate, but you've asked us to give us, to give you our anxieties. And so we do that. And we claim the promise that you care for us, that you care on our behalf more than we could care, with a knowledge that we don't have, with a strength that we don't possess. Lord, give us faith. For those who are here today, who who are believers and who who may have allowed the trials of this life to distract them, I pray that today they would recommit their hearts and lives to you to live 
worry-free because their faith is completely in you. They love you with their entire heart, not just with part of it. Lord, for those who are here today who aren't believers at all, and there's a deep abiding anxiety that extends past this life and into the next, I pray that they would find the wholeness that's only found in Christ Jesus and that today they would take the first step on a journey of placing their faith and their trust in you. Lord, we come to you and we ask that you would move in our hearts and lives. Lead us to respond to you as your Holy Spirit guides us. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.